This episode is dedicated to the elements that make up a great connection economy entrepreneur. How to differentiate yourself from your competition through the value that your proposition provides. The importance of valuing your work, seeking meaning in everything that you do, along with the importance of the customer experience and how to differentiate yourself through that. This is Digital Bacon FM. Yes, booty love, boogie tonight, bringing us up to the top of the hour, of course, joined on the line by our marketing maestro, the man that I spent some time with in Hong Kong, the one, the only, Stephen Barnes. Good morning. Hello, sir. How are you? Not too bad. How are you? You know, when I was driving back yesterday from the airport, I actually marveled at the fact that I was in Hong Kong one minute, well, and then not too many minutes after, I was back in the mountains. Well, you know, when you uh, get to fly um, subsonic business class all the way back to wonderful South Africa from Hong Kong, you know, uh, time flies like that. So hardly surprising that you felt that way. Yeah, the drive was less fun, but that's just the way it goes. Well, you get a beautiful scenery to view when you're um, heading back into uh, a little old Underberg. So uh, that's to be uh, uh, counted as something to be grateful for, is it not? Absolutely. So thank you for the slide. Indeed, yes. I think um, what we probably need to do is sort of understand that you as an individual are also going to be contributing to your business model in the connection economy. And if you're going to run down a, uh, an intelligent content marketing path, um, there are uh, certain things that you need to do to understand your marketplace as a connection economy entrepreneur. Uh, and then do an assessment of your marketplace versus the uh, incumbents who are all presently operating in the industrial economy model, uh, and then look to see you know, how you can uh, exploit the uh, obvious opportunity to uh, uh, take advantage of everything the connection economy has to offer, mm. whilst those who presently operate in the connection in the industrial economy are uh, busy making money the same old way as they've always done and uh, uh, generally tend not to have uh, their heads up too often to uh, to see what else is going on around the patch and uh, uh, and how they might uh, uh, anticipate com- competitive uh, threats uh, when they emerge now so um and mm-hmm, the, these please. people these people who are stuck in the uh, the old ways of doing things when when the pendulum finally swings the other way how difficult is it going to be for them to to uh, to get on board with the way things have changed? Interesting question. It ultimately depends on um, uh, the niche that you're in and to what extent the major competitors that you would have um, have woken up to the reality of uh, you know the fact that the world has changed. In many ways, it's only actions by um, upstart connection economy type competitors that ultimately create the, um, uh, the, the disresonance, if you can say that, mm-hmm. in the marketplace that uh, would allow the major industrial competitors to sort of economy, industrial economy competitors to sort of take stock and, and, and be curious and sort of find out what's going on. But you know, as we'll see, the, uh, the innovator's dilemma, which is a Craig Christensen idea, uh, will invariably impact to one degree or another in how the industrial economy operators perceive you as a connection economy uh, operator threat. Mm. And like in my business, for example, um, there are five or six major global immigration competitors who uh, one would imagine um, should be sort of on the lookout for new uh, novel and interesting things that are happening in the immigration space. 
um, um, because we're sort of stuck sort of in a sense out in the backwater as little old Hong Kong as it were very small immigration <laughs> services market uh-huh. a lot bigger but a lot, lot bigger than the Underberg immigration services market but still it's you know it's tiny by itself yeah, compared I'd, to the US so. I'd, I don't see uh-huh. anybody having filled in an immigration form saying I'd like to rel- well actually me <laughs> probably the only person <laughs> in the history of time <laughs> I don't yeah, think I disrupted right. the market in any way no, indeed, indeed. And in fact, in fact, you were uh, you were not much of a comp- uh, opportunity to disrupt the market, or indeed represent a particularly uh, lucrative client for the sole immigration operator that specialises in immigration into Underberg, because <laughs> uh, you're a South African citizen, you don't need a visa. So, well, that's uh, very true. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad that I didn't set up in Underberg waiting for the you know, the mother load of clientele to arrive. Otherwise, I'd still be yeah, standing there waiting for my first client. I guess. I, I, t- I tell uh, you, just missed out on you. <coughs> Excuse me. I tell you what was interesting when I took my baggage to cafe to the uh, in-town check-in. Um, as you know, it was a bit of a dilemma because uh, I wanted to go early, drop all the stuff off, uh, and then one of their scanners wasn't working, so I couldn't check my baggage in. So they said, "Well, mm-hmm. I tell you what, you do just leave it in the um, in the baggage storage, uh, which you have to pay for." Which uh, I was a bit grumpy about, but anyway, and she said, oh, "Don't worry, I'll give you your um, your boarding pass now, and then just drop your luggage off." So I yeah. said, well, that's fine. And normally when I travel, I, you know, as you, as you know very well, when you go into Hong Kong, if you're a permanent resident or even a, not a permanent resident, you have an ID card and that acts as a passport yeah. and you go straight through the automated system and that works lovely jubbly. Um, and when I travel anywhere else in the world, I travel on my British passport. Obviously, being British, I'm entitled to do that. Um, and with Cathay, I've been a member of their... Um, you know, the program that they have for flying. Um, and it, it's stored all of my details. It's had my British passport on there for 15, 20 years or whatever it is now. Um, and when I when I checked in, she said, um, are you allowed to go to South Africa? And I said, well, you can see that I actually flew from South Africa to Hong Kong last week. So, yeah, I'm allowed to go. Yeah. And she said, well, you don't have a visa. So I said, okay, well, let me give you another passport. But because I'd left my other passport at your apartment, she said, well, no, now now I can't check you in. So when I went back, um, she'd obviously gone off duty and uh, somebody said, okay, well, you're going to fly to South Africa. And I said, I tell you what, I have three nationalities. Choose one, make it work. Um, (laughs) It was quite, quite fun to do, but I did it in Cantonese. So they were a little bit more surprised than I thought, you know. So anyway, that was fun. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, so you've got uh, you, you've got an inkling for a business model that applies potentially uh, to uh, which uh, to which you can apply intelligent content marketing to um, to the your new connection economy type of operation, um, and you're wanting to sort of understand what kind of competitive threat might uh, exist in the marketplace uh, as regards industrial economy operators. So um, essentially by analyzing the marketplace, what I've suggested to you as a a connection economy type entrepreneur, Mm. there are seven sort of qualities to you as a connection economy entrepreneur that makes you sort of different from the industrial economy incumbent players. Um, and in, uh, in sort of pulling this together, it was kind of like a, an analysis of what was kind of important to me uh, and indeed Martin when we were thinking about, um, you know, what 
this kind of business model is going to be looking like, understanding that, of course, it was going to be based on, on high-quality content because we, mm. we knew that that would work through, you know, through our previous efforts between 1996 and 2000. So, yeah, so the, 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 the connection economy entrepreneur, what sort of qualities do they have and are they bringing to the assessment of the marketplace out of which you're going to ultimately go on to um, you know, scribe a, a business model? Well, um, firstly, there are three uh, aspects to our um, sort of commercial bottom line, if you will. Uh, the first is that we're interested, obviously, as a business, we're interested in profit. Um, without profit, you don't have a business and you can't do anything beyond um, uh, survive, really. Uh, how's the old adage? adage? Revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. So clearly, you know, as a connection economy entrepreneur, you're interested in profit. Um, as a connection economy entrepreneur, you're interested in people. Touching back to you know the Don Tapscott observations that I made just then, mm. you know you you genuinely cannot do anything without other people, uh, and because you can't do anything without other people, you really have to assess uh, a the people that you're dealing with and the the nature of the relationship that you want to forge with them because success requires that you have the participation via the interdependence component that we discuss on Don Tapscott's uh, work. Um, you know, your business can't survive at all unless you've got the right people in your team uh, rowing in the same direction as you. Um, and indeed that uh, you anticipate that not only are you going to, uh, uh, you know, be looking out for uh, the people that are working with you and they enable you to uh, make your profit, uh, but there's another dimension to it too, and that is, you know, you have to be conscious of the environment that you operate in. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, the third element of, uh, of, a, of an entrepreneur who's going to operate in the connection economy is to anticipate, uh, you know, what he's going to do or she's going to do for the planet. And mm. what I mean by that is obviously, you know, the, 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 the green eco thing, but but more widely, you know, the planet being the society around you and the, uh, the community that you interact with and, uh, and, and how you should be looking to introduce benefit to the sort of planet more widely, so to speak, yep. um, than just, just profiting purely for yourself from your commercial endeavors. Now, I have a question on, on that personal human touch. We've, you know, we moved to an internet or a kind of world where it's rather impersonal. And, you know, you've talked about creating content. Um, people can go onto your website. They can see what you've done. Uh, everything becomes... Um, a little less personal when you're on the internet. How do you still convey your content and let people know that there are people involved? You know, if you look at how we bank these days, we hardly ever have a relationship with our banker. Uh, when you make an airline booking, you don't really have any any one-on-one -on -one, uh, interaction until there's a problem. Yeah. So um, the way that you make it work is understand that, you know, Firstly, you've got to attract people to your website. So, what are you going to try? How are you going to attract them there? You're going to attract them by answering a question they might have, or you're going to attract them by solving a problem mm. that they've got. And then, once they're on your website, clearly, the, to the extent that they're able to assess the bona fides of the party that owns this website and understanding their motivations for doing what they do, mm. um, you need through your content to tell your story essentially let everybody understand what your why is all about um, mm. produce material that gives um, you know transparency over uh, you know you yourself personally where your business came from 
what the uh, underlying you know connection economy motif is that, that underpins the business model that they find themselves interacting with um, and then going to things like social proof mm. where um, uh, opportunities for uh, for other people who you've helped uh, previously uh, for them to be able to confirm the fact that you've helped them and that you're uh, a good operator and you, you, you've got integrity and you're trustworthy. So, you know, what we did was took every opportunity to, um, you know, illustrate to people that we'd spent so much effort and energy on getting onto our website that while they were there, uh, this was a place that was worthwhile them being because, you know, we are the guys to talk to in our particular mm. niche. And uh, and as I say, you can go through uh, all of our materials on our website so you can see how we brought that about. And, and it's not something that you sit down and knock together over the course of a weekend. It's it's part and parcel of the DNA of your of your business model, the kind of the social fabric of everything that you do and mm. the, um, the, 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 the the tribe that you generate and, you know, the nature of the relationships that you're, uh, you're engendering with people through having answered a question or solved a problem and, or indeed gone on to take care of them commercially. So that, that's really sort of, you know, um, how, we're, how we've been able to do it. And uh, uh, certainly telling your story, uh, both at a personal level and also the story of the business, um, is a very, very good way to, uh, to, to begin to bring those outcomes about. Mm. Okay. So, okay, so three things that a connection economy, the bottom line, um, entrepreneur is interested in. So then the second thing is uh, what I've come to understand is that a connection economy entrepreneur values him or herself and values the work that we do. Um, one of the earlier experiences I had in my life was where uh, essentially through my own stupidity, um, I allowed a group of other people to essentially take away my first immigration practice from me uh, and didn't receive any compensation for it. Um, and at that point in time, I came to understand the true value of what I've given to these people. Um, I, at the time that I was originally negotiating the deal and uh, finalizing the deal and building the long-term relationship based on, on what I thought was, you know, trust between us and all the rest of that good stuff, um, I, I didn't appreciate truly the value that I was I was, I was delivering into their hands the deliver the value in terms of, you know, the business that I've built up over the years and my reputation in the marketplace and the, and the contribution that, you know, my history in Hong Kong immigration had made to that brand once it had, it, uh, it had sort of been acquired from me. Um, I didn't truly understand the value until after I'd lost it, uh, by which time it was too late. So um, I've come to understand that in the connection economy, when you are uh, building a business predicated on trust and, uh, and, and, and and helping people, you know, achieve the objectives that they've got in life, there's real value in that, and there's massive value in the outcomes that you're able to deliver for people. And so, you know, uh, an integral element, uh, I believe, in uh, being successful uh, with a connection with an connection economy connection economy uh, business model is that we have to value ourselves and we have to value the work that we do for after all jason of course if we don't value ourselves and the work that we do who is absolutely going to value us absolutely yeah nobody value uh, we do we tend to uh undervalue ourselves you know if i if i have a look at some of the businesses that i've been involved in um you know when you try and convince the people that you're working with that they should never sell themselves short uh, i wonder if it's confidence that gets in the way um, and I think I think yeah, yeah. In that, in that, you know, when Sorry, you have when you, when you have a good product, when you provide a great service, 
Um, there's an expectation that if you deal with the right people, they'll be prepared to pay for it. And if they're not prepared to pay for it, then they're not your proper target audience. Absolutely right. Right. And, you know, and that, that dovetails nicely into, you know, the third quality of the connection economy. And how I roll. Well, yeah, seek purpose. The Segway King. In all that you do. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Seek purpose and meaning in all that we do. That's what we need to do. Ask why. And then when you're dealing with the people that represent your either your real clients, they're paying you money, or those that prospectively might pay you money, what you've got to do is, is seek to create an experience with them. Um, give them something to remember. Don't just fill a need as such. Filling mm. the need, in a sense, is quite easy, right? Mm. It, it's more than that. Like, for example, for me, um, I get I get in the region of about 10 to 15 questions via the web every day that I answer. Mm. And um, those those questions, for the most part, are, are very often they've already been answered elsewhere on our websites because of the you know, profound volume of material that we've got. Um, but that notwithstanding, doesn't matter, you know, how uh, how big or how small the prospect uh, a relationship might appear at first blush or how long or involved or complicated or otherwise the question might be um you know we always make the effort to answer every single question and it's not that every question will get a podcast answer um the vast majority of questions that get replied to are post the point the, the question is pointed in the direction of the answer that already exists on our website or it might uh, end up being uh, just a short one or two line answer that, that I know is erudite enough to absolutely answer the, you know, the question and solve the problem that they've got. Um, and uh, and if it's a very long, complex, lots of moving parts situation, then, uh, then you know, I'll email them and uh, suggest a time, usually a day or two later at a specific moment in time where uh, usually through lunchtime or perhaps very, very early evening when I know I've got time to do it and there's a pretty decent chance that they'll probably have time to do it as well. Um, I suggest that uh, we get on the telephone and, uh, and I'll answer the question and, uh, and talk them through the issues uh, via the phone without any cost. So, you know, essentially what we're doing is not just answering, uh, you know, the need or addressing the need we've got for the information that represents the answer. We're trying to give them an experience in that. And, you know, that experience um, is embodied in um, the fact that we always answer the question. They always get a, a reply within 24 hours as a minimum. Um, and they get taken they get taken seriously and so they're left with this sort of after the fact sense that well hang on a minute here's a Hong Kong so-called you know leading immigration expert uh, that has spent some time specifically on me um, and has helped me achieve what I want to achieve uh, and it, you can't go anywhere else to get that kind of experience mm. nobody else is doing that and there lies an opportunity you know just by virtue of doing what you do, nothing more profound than answering an email or pointing somebody in the direction of an existing website or, you know, scheduling 15 or 20 minutes at the end of the day or at lunchtime to have a conversation with someone who you know is des definitely going to be interested to hear what you have to say. Uh, and, you know, if you've done uh, done your job right, we'll no doubt, you know, remember that experience and we'll, uh, we'll uh, that, that, that will come back and, uh, and benefit you in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways later on. Now, talking about the time that's the appropriate time to respond to a question or, or, or in any situation, I'm going to talk about two, two experiences that you and I had uh, while I was in Hong Kong this week. Um, we, we went to two different restaurants. One, the dim sum restaurant that we've been going to for years and years. 
and uh, we were seated very quickly, taken care of, and that was for an average bill that usually costs us between $150 and $250. It's something that we did every week. And obviously, the um, the management and the owners know us well. So we were treated as we've always been, no differently from other people, I'm sure. Um, but the the turnaround time of the experience was very quick. Now, if you have a look at yeah. when we went to the Indian restaurant, the first, the first rest, place, the yes, first indeed, place yeah. that we went into is a place that you've been going as well for many, many years. We walked in and the reception was cold um, in yeah. that... Uh, the guy who he, he couldn't decide whether he could give us a table or this table or that table. We sat. We was we were there for less than a minute, and you said, "No, this is not going to end up being a good experience. It hasn't started well. Let's go." Um, if you if you use that amount of time, how long do you think people give you in a in a connection economy world to actually deliver on that first interaction? Um, well, obviously, it depends on the importance of the need for the information that led to them reaching out to you in the first place. Mm. Now, incumbent to uh, my knowledge, if you will, is an appreciation that when an immigration applicant is reaching out to an immigration advisor, at the point of reaching out and articulating the concern that they have, they have that's a major problem for them. Mm. Because, you know, uh, in immigration, you have a, you, 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 your experience prior to ultimately what goes on to be your approval is a series of, 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 of sequential nagging doubts. Mm -hmm. And uh, the nagging doubt process commences with the reach out. Um, and usually, uh, not usually, but quite often, the nagging doubt by the time it reaches you uh, has been a nagging doubt for a very long time. Mm. Uh, but most people who are in the immigration realm, they tend to leave things to the very last minute because they've got other priorities. And, you know, it's, it goes into the temporarily into the hard, the too hard basket and what have you. But uh, certainly at the point where someone is asking a professional a question about their immigration status, it's it's pressing for them. It's the, for, the, the thing that's foremost in their mind. They've only now finally asked it after probably having harbored that uh, that nagging doubt for several weeks or months and the mm. clock is ticking, so they need to do something about it. That then informs me as an immigration expert that when they ask that question, it's the most important thing in their life at that moment in time. And because it's the most important thing at that moment in, in time, my job is to recognize the fact that it's the most important thing at that moment in their life and treat it with the expert expediency that it, that it deserves mm -hmm. so 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 that means you know a they always get an answer and they always get an answer within 24 hours quite often you know it can be quicker than that depending on how my um uh, on how my, my workload looks generally and how uh what's it what the, what the requirements are to actually answer that question um uh, and whether, whether i've got the time available to do it there and then for example i'd say 25 30 percent of the questions that i get i actually answer probably within about 10 minutes of them hitting my inbox in actual fact, mm. because I'm able to do, I'm able to do that, you know, on mm. occasion. Uh, so, so yeah, so basically because I understand the significance of, you know, the outreach, uh, we conduct ourselves, uh, you know, to the, to the importance of that occasion accordingly. And insofar as, you know, going back to that, 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 in, that first Indian restaurant that you mentioned, um, I have experience about dining there. And uh, in fact, I've had a staff dinner there. I think we took about, it was a staff dinner. Um, it was about, uh, yeah, about, about 18 people. 
uh, and I eat there probably once a month or something like that. Mm. Uh, I recognize all the waiters' faces. Uh, so one must assume that if I recognize all their faces, they must recognize mine as well. Mm. So, you know, when we when we walked in and, you know, the restaurant was, what, two-fifths? No, no, no four-fifths full. It's not a big restaurant, right? Yeah, it was probably about probably eight, eight free tables. Eight, eight free tables. They probably had about 30 people dining there all together, and there's four or five staff. Uh, as soon as we walked in, it was it was clear that they were kind of a little bit indifferent to us. Uh, they were more focused on the the things that they were doing there and then at that moment in time, which is fair enough. You know, they have to take care of their existing clients and customers. But there was no no general effort to sort of say to us, "Hey, you're welcome. Please no have warmth. a seat. I'll yeah. get you a glass of water." I just need to clean that table in the there, over there. It'll take me a couple of minutes, and I'm just going to finish serving this table, but I'll be right with you, sir. Just a moment. That's all it would have taken, sure. right? Okay, no contact. It's all under control. Mm. I don't need to teach your grammar how to suck eggs in this regard, so forgive me, Jason. Well, but no, you, know, you see the point that I mean, that well, I'm trying the, to make here. The, the thing I wanted to bring up as well was a, a situation that you're currently in and that you've contacted um, a martial arts place, and in Hong Kong where things move at a pretty quick pace, and it's very competitive. You would think that they would have come back to you relatively quickly. But from, from what I remember, it's been weeks and weeks. Now, my friend Gulu has experienced the same thing. Wanted to join the gym, managed to join the gym aspect of it in five minutes. But then the fitness trainer, we're still waiting for a response. And you would think that in a town of the size of Underberg, where you need to get every single customer that possibly comes across your bow, uh, they would be a lot more feisty to try and get it. But even in Hong Kong, it seems that uh, in certain regards, they're uh, slower than they should be. Well, and I think that's just indicative of, of, of you know, people generally irrespective of, you know, where they're based or, mm. you know, kind of what their backgrounds are as a mixed bag. And uh, um, the team that worked for me, uh, of all, they're all treated in a particular way so that, you know, they will not... Um, sort of behave towards our clients and our customers in the way that, uh, you know, uh, we were, we were uh, treated certainly in the restaurants and also in the martial arts place that I told you mm. about. We have a, a stop, drop and dial policy. And that is the moment somebody connects with us, if we're doing our work, that's in a controlled, ordered fashion, but somebody third party connects with us, it's clear that through the connection that they have, uh, they have a need to have, a, 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 you know, a, their, their concern address. They've reached out to us. So our policy is stop, drop and dial. So stop what you're doing, uh, drop everything, and then pick up the phone and speak to that person. That's what it's all about. Because mm. that, that conversation might take two or three minutes, might take five or ten minutes, but you know it's the start of the relationship. And uh, the work that you're working on, there's the, the existing incumbent client that whose work you're doing there and then doesn't have any appreciation that you've stopped working for five or ten minutes on that file so you can speak to another customer. Um, and so the, you know, no one is... Uh, compromise as a result of that policy and indeed everybody is benefited and uh you know that's the that's the way i feel that you're able to differentiate yourself in in, in the connection economy in fact in any service business you can, you can differentiate yourself just by making a specific effort to provide great service or at least being seen to to be in the business of of trying to provide great service um, but so many people that profess to be in business or are employees of businesses that that haven't been taught properly or or, or the, the characters of those personalities haven't been weeded out over time 
time uh, and they go on to become um, basically a liability to the business rather than an asset. Mm. So, you know, going, going back to my, um, you know, my martial arts, I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to think now, really. <laughs> Well, if yeah, if it was I, me, uh, I, I choose another another dojo. Or? Absolutely, if if somebody can't put in a hundred percent of the effort to get you as a customer, once you've started paying, how much effort are they going to put in when you're locked in? Indeed, that's that's, that, true. That, that's that's for me the danger. If you know their, their first impression is always the best impression that they're going to be able to create, and uh, one, once yeah. you're in a contract. It's very hard to get out, and if they're not a hundred percent awesome at the beginning, it's only going to get worse from there. That's my that's my thought. That's yeah, what that's... I've always found. Um, I think you were yeah, right. Yeah, no, if, I agree if, with you completely. If we had stayed at that first Indian restaurant, we wouldn't have had a good meal because the experience starts right at the very beginning. You know, I've always said in the restaurant business, the experience doesn't start when you sit down and you get your appetizer. It actually starts when you make the reservation. Because that's when the anticipation starts. And it doesn't, it doesn't finish when you pay the bill. The experience actually finishes the next day or the day after that when you tell your friends about the experience. Because ultimately, that's the word of mouth component that every restaurateur wants. Just the same as yours, you're looking for social proof for people to have really enjoyed the experience in order to tell other people, but also to reinforce everything that you say about yourself in terms of the ethics the services you provide, etc. But yeah, and you've just started, mm-hmm, please. As you said, I'm speaking to the choir. <laughs> um, yeah, and you've 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 just you've just articulated what would be ultimately, uh, you know, the, the paradigmatic sort of outcome of uh, analysing your marketplace, anticipating that you're going to operate your restaurant through the the prism of a connection economy approach rather than an old industrial economy approach. Mm. So, you know, all those words that you just spent, you know, last minute articulating as to, you know, the customer experience, if you bring that quality of thinking and assessment and appreciation of what's actually going on if you're delivering in a restaurant environment and then expand the opportunity to, to, um, uh, to deliver that experience using technology well before they get to you, uh, at the point of them getting to you, clearly going to do what you do, what you do while they're with you, and then after they left you, there are ways to use the web and interesting reach out techniques that would encourage them to come back and encourage them to tell their friends and and basically leave them, you know, sort of you know buzzing with anticipation because mm. they've never encountered a dining experience like that before, a seamless, you know beginning to end uh, and it continues after the fact and you're still delivering values to them even though it might well be that in the final analysis the the food that you serve in front of them being uh, an hour and a half uh, part of the experience is just a a minor part of the total experience you know the last time i ate at amber uh richard ekebis's place in the mandarin you know it's Mm -hmm. It's it's twenty in the world. I mean, it's an absolutely outstanding experience. I couldn't tell you all of the dishes that I had, but the thing that stood out the most for me was the next day receiving an email from the general manager thanking me for coming to eat and asking if I enjoyed it. That's uh, what that's what I remember. How- so you know, the the follow up uh, in a restaurant that's uh, that acclaimed and also that busy is masterful. That's true. And, ha- and think about it. How much effort does that take? You could, you, could, you could employ one person whose job it is to deliver on the experience prior to them getting to the venue 
and in the wake of them getting to the venue. One person, yeah. full-time job, just to manage, you know, if you have uh, 50 people through your restaurant every single day, that's 50 relationships that you've got there that represent your future, um, you know, your future revenues. Yeah. If you manage your, manage those relationships properly by delivering an outstanding, you know, beginning to end experience, um, then you've got a customer for life, right? Absolutely. Nobody's doing that stuff. And analyzing the competitive landscape as a connection economy operator gives you the opportunity to appreciate those things. Mm. All right, Mr. Barnes, we shall catch up again next Friday. All things going well, the internet working properly, of course, but you and I have a plan for that. It was uh, fantastic Indeed. to catch up with you this week, sir. Thank you. I missed you. I shall hopefully see you in the not-too-distant future, but we will chat again next Friday. Digital Bacon FM. Now you're one step closer to becoming a connection economy entrepreneur. Next time, you'll find out all about how to analyze your marketplace.